By age 18, I want to be here. By age 21, I want to be there. By age 25, I want to have this. By age 30, my life should look like that. Sound familiar, Deborah Johnson writes? Most of us, at some point, have mapped out our lives and told ourselves what we should have and where our life should be at certain milestones. Some of those road signs typically include having a degree, bachelor's, master's, or doctorate, a great career, a relationship, owning a house, a car, eventually getting married, and then having children. This plan is often shaped by what society and our parents tell us life should look like. And most of us, if we're honest, didn't consult God much when we created this plan. We just thought He would fulfill it because God wants the best for me, and that is the best for me, or so we thought. Deborah continues, Everything was beautiful, and life was going just as I had planned. Then out of nowhere, God interrupted my plans. At first, I thought it was the devil, and then I thought it was just a test, and that it would all work out eventually. So I kept trying to open the door that he had shut because I sincerely thought it was his will. Guess what? The door was not opening. Then after multiple tries, I stepped back and finally prayed for God to show me his will concerning the situation. That's when God began to tell me, Deborah, that's not my plan for your life. To be honest, I didn't understand. I was shocked, heartbroken, felt lost. But God continued to reassure me as He shut those plans all the way down. The only way I could have made it work was by blatantly disobeying God and forcing that door to open. Over time, He began to give me understanding and reveal what He did want me to do instead. Trusting God when He rips up your plan isn't easy. It's scary at first, and at times you wonder if it's God who's leading you or if you're just going crazy. My friends, I believe I can safely say that everyone's life has been disrupted in one way or another in your lifetime. If you can't think of something, just remember how the pandemic stopped all of us in our tracks and changed most of our plans. We never like it when our lives are disrupted in a major or even a minor way. We don't like it one bit. Often one phone call or news can change the very trajectory of our life. A text, call, message telling you that your loved one has passed away unexpectedly, or you get the news that you have cancer, or you don't get into the school of your choosing, a school you expected to get in, or that you failed the board exam, or you get the news that your spouse is cheating on you emotionally or physically, or your friend or employee is stealing from you, or that your spouse is leaving you, or that you've been fired from your job, or you're passed over for a promotion. Or perhaps there's been a fire and everything you own has been destroyed. Your home and place of work, all gone. What do you do in times like that? Perhaps we can respond by seeing those times as God's divine disruption in our lives to teach us some very important life lessons. There have been many times in the Bible when God interrupted someone's life and disrupted the trajectory of where they thought they were going for them to learn a powerful life lesson. Let's unpack this idea as we continue our sermon series, Voyager, looking at the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to Acts chapter 16 as we study verses 1 to 15. 
Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 15, as we pick up our study in the book of Acts. I read now verses 1 to 3 of Acts chapter 16. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. If you remember, Paul and Barnabas, on their first missionary journey, had shared the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ throughout Cyprus and Asia Minor, today's modern-day Turkey. Many people believed in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and churches were started. Now Paul wanted to go back and encourage the Christians in those churches that he and Barnabas founded in that first missionary journey. So he decided to start a second missionary trip. He was supposed to go with Barnabas, but as we studied last week, because of a disagreement over bringing John Mark or not, Paul now partnered with Silas and headed off to Asia Minor from Antioch, while Barnabas and John Mark went to Cyprus. This second missionary journey of Paul's got off to a great start. They were able to accomplish all the things they wanted to do with the Lord's enablement. At Lystra, the Bible tells us, they were even able to pick up a great young man, Timothy, to serve as a traveling assistant for this amazing missionary team of Paul and Silas. Timothy's reputation was such that he was held in high regard by the Christians in two cities, so as not to be a stumbling block in their evangelistic outreach to the Jews in the region, because Timothy's father was Gentile Greek and his mother Jewish, Paul encouraged Timothy to get circumcised. He did this not for his salvation, but to prevent any hindrances of the gospel work among the Jewish unbelievers, which Timothy did. The pickup of Timothy was a great asset to the team of Paul and Silas. If there was such a thing as a Christian draft to pick whom you wanted to be on your team, Timothy would be a surefire number one draft pick. I read now verses 4 and 5. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. The Bible tells us all was well. Everything was firing in all cylinders. This missionary team of Paul, Silas, and young Timothy as their assistant were able to effectively share the teachings of Jesus to the young churches in Asia Minor. And as these churches were strengthened, they began to grow numerically as many came to know Christ and joined the churches to be discipled. Now let's stop here and assess Paul's plan and what he and Silas were doing. Would you say the Lord was in their plans? Of course. The work of the Holy Spirit was clearly evident as God blessed the work of this team. We can say with certainty that what Paul and Silas were doing was God-blessed and God-ordained. If you were to be a missionary consultant to Paul and Silas, would you ask them to change what they were doing or to let them continue doing what they were doing in their approach and methodologies? The answer is, of course, let them continue what they were doing. What is there to change? They were clearly effective, and the churches were growing, the Bible tells us. In fact, they should continue what they were doing for the next few months, if not for years to come. But then something unexpectedly happened. Look at verse 6. 
Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. The Bible tells us in their journey through Central Asia Minor, bringing the gospel to many, Paul and Silas had in mind to head west, most likely to the city of Ephesus. But the Bible tells us they were somehow forbidden by the Holy Spirit, seemingly out of the blue. We're not told in the Bible how they were forbidden, whether it was a prompting of the Holy Spirit or circumstances or events that caused them not to be able to continue the good work they were doing with the plan they had to evangelize Asia Minor. We simply don't know. In fact, it doesn't seem like Paul and Silas knew themselves the reason for why God prevented them from going west in Asia Minor to preach the gospel. If I were in their shoes, I would have been very frustrated, thinking to myself, I'm doing the work of the Lord with great effectivity, and I'm sharing the gospel to even more people, which is a very good endeavor. And suddenly, I'm now stopped by God from doing these things. I would cry out of frustration, Lord, what in the world are you doing? But my friends, we have to understand that when our lives are divinely disrupted, it is because God is interrupting us for a purpose we may not fully grasp. When these times come, some spiritual people try to suggest reasons for why God would interrupt their lives. Some would say it's to slow us down and to be still before the Lord. Others would propose it is to get us to repent and pray more. Still others would say it is for us to remember that life is about the eternal and not the temporary. These are all valid possibilities with scriptural support. However, there are times it is not so clear-cut what God is doing, and we simply don't know what is happening. I mean, Paul and Silas were seemingly stopped dead in their tracks from doing the work of the Great Commission by the Lord Himself. Why? You see, we have to be reminded that we do not fully understand the mind of God, and we simply do not know why God suddenly closes the doors and doesn't open a window. He often just keeps the door closed, and we are left baffled. Remember what Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9 tells us. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, my friends, when we don't understand what God is doing, He doesn't owe us an answer. And oftentimes, we may never get an answer. Look at the life of Job in the Bible. He kept asking God why horrible things were happening to him. But God never told Job in his lifetime the reason. God answered Job instead by reminding him just how great and awesome he is and to simply trust him. Remember, my friends, if you trust someone, the person you trust doesn't have to give you an explanation. That's the very meaning of trust. These verses teach us and taught Paul and Silas back then that disruptions remind us to trust in the omniscient, sovereign God. And this is our first biblical principle. Biblical principle number one. Divine disruptions teach us to trust God. Divine disruptions teach us to trust God. We see this all throughout the Scriptures. Abram was comfortable in the year of the Chaldees, but God called him on a journey of faith. Moses was comfortable herding sheep in the wilderness, but God's people needed a deliverer. 
Jonah was comfortable preaching in Israel, but Nineveh needed to hear from God. Nehemiah was comfortable as the king's cupbearer, but the walls of Jerusalem needed to be rebuilt. Mary was comfortable living her young, simple life, but the angel Gabriel brought her a life-altering message. Peter was comfortable as a fisherman, but Jesus saw another purpose for his life. Paul was comfortable as a Pharisee, but God needed a great church planner. With the exception of Paul, it's not that what any of them was doing was wrong. It's just that God had a different plan, a different purpose for them to fulfill. They all had their lives divinely disrupted, and they all had to trust God. My friends, we have to trust because we only know and see a very small part of what is happening in life while the omniscient God knows everything. And we have to remind ourselves of this truth, that we can't see the total big picture from our perspective. We don't know how the disruptions work in our lives. But our instinctive response should be to trust God. You know, when my youngest Janelle was a toddler, we had a little game where I would ask her to jump off her bed into my arms, and I would catch her. She loved to do it, and I always caught her. But as she grew bigger and taller, I got older and weaker. And we still played a version of this game. But instead of jumping into my arms, she would face away from me and fall backwards into my arms. The younger generation calls this a trust fall. Again, I would always catch her. However, I noticed something, that as she got older and perhaps wiser, she would keep turning around to see if I was still standing there and how close I was to her. She would constantly ask me, Dad, would you really catch me? Or why don't you come a little bit closer? And I have to remind her, Janelle, I have yet to ever drop you, and I don't intend to ever drop you. You see, Janelle does trust, but her trust isn't as sure anymore. So she just wants to be sure when she looks back or when she asks her many questions. Of course, I keep telling her to look away and just fall backwards into my arms. I will even question if she even trusts me anymore. I assure her that I've never dropped her in all of her life because if I did, her mom would kill me. But if she continues to hesitate, I finally say, if you're going to ask so many questions and not just do it, then I'm going to walk away and not play this game with you. At which point, she says, okay, okay, Dad. And then we have a lot of fun as she screams, falling backwards, trusting that her father would catch her, which I always do. Similarly, that's why when we were children, we implicitly trust. But somehow when we get older, we trust less. I think it's because we often tend to overthink, worry, or are simply scared. And so God divinely disrupts our lives so that He can teach us to trust again because He has never let us down. He doesn't owe us answers to our questions. He doesn't need to explain anything to us. He just simply says, trust me. And here in this story, God tells Paul, trust me. You can't go west. And Paul doesn't know why and isn't even given any explanation. But Paul and Silas had to trust the unknown plans of the Almighty God. I read now verses 7 and 8 of Acts chapter 16. After they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. Since Paul, Silas, and Timothy could not go west, 
they headed northwest. And when they came to the province of Mycenae, and they tried to swing up north to the province of Bithynia, notice again that the Holy Spirit would not allow them to do so. Again, we don't know how and why the Spirit did not permit them to travel north. That is not the point. They were simply prevented from going in that direction, the Bible tells us. Because doors were continually being closed left and right, Paul and Silas ended up in the port city of Troas. If you get a map and map out these verses of where Paul and Silas were prevented from going, you will see that God was leading them directly to Troas for a very special purpose, as we'll see later. Although I'm sure Paul and Silas had plans of what they planned to do on this second missionary journey as they started out, it's good that Paul and Silas were not so set in their ways, but were flexible and adaptable enough that they didn't force the issue to try to force open a closed door of God and were sensitive to the Spirit's leading. You see, life's disruptions are such that often God interrupts to make sure we're flexible and adaptable. And that's our second biblical principle, biblical principle number two. Divine disruptions keep us flexible and adaptable. Divine disruptions keep us flexible and adaptable. We know that when our plans are so set and inflexible, we get angry when God changes it. And even though He is moving us to a better purpose, we're so set in our ways that at times we simply will not change course. That is why God has to interrupt our lives. Think about it. If you had your life go as you had planned it when you were 16, 17, or 18 years old, would you have wanted what you planned then versus what you have now? I think many of you know I studied engineering and mathematics in university. And if I wasn't flexible and adaptable to God's interruptions in my life, I would not be speaking to you today, but working in a lab somewhere in the U.S. When I entered the world of management consulting, if I wasn't flexible and adaptable to God's interruptions, then I wouldn't be a pastor today, but instead be in the business world. My friends, we all have to be flexible and adaptable to God's leading, and He often uses disruptions to keep us nimble and available for His use. You see, it's not about you. It's not about your comforts. It's not about your life and success. It's about God and what He wants for your life, what purpose He has for your life. What are you willing to do for Him as a follower of Christ? You see, when we're not flexible and adaptable, then our first reaction when our plans change is to be irritated and annoyed, angry that God has messed things up. Can you imagine telling God, you messed everything up. I had it all planned out. But remember what Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 reminds us. Proverbs 16, 9. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. My friends, interruptions are part of God's will and ways to get us to be flexible and adaptable. As someone so keenly notes of Jesus, Jesus was often so interrupted, even his interruptions were interrupted. Once Jesus got out of a boat and was interrupted by a crowd, but a rich man named Jairus, who had the clout to get through the crowd and in front of Jesus, asked Jesus to come with him to heal his daughter. Jesus agreed to this detour and began to go with Jairus. But as the crowd began to move, Jesus noticed that someone touched him with great need and even greater faith. Jesus asked who touched him, and we find out it was the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. This is a woman who likely has been ostracized for most of those years. 
Jesus knows her faith, and He heals her. The interruption of the interruption solidifies God's care for each and every one of His beloved children, regardless of station and position in society. In fact, divine disruptions remind us of what are the really important things of life and to be flexible and adaptable enough to let go of the unimportant things. Late in the evening of April 14, 1912, the unsinkable ocean liner Titanic struck an iceberg and sank to the bottom of the sea, claiming the lives of 1,523 out of the 2,228 men, women, and children aboard. Survivor stories provide a wealth of information about what took place during the last few moments of the ill-fated ship's journey, and these tales are peppered with heroism and selfishness, wisdom and folly. Among the many wealthy passengers sailing on Titanic's maiden voyage was Major Arthur Godfrey Pukin, who survived while 11 other millionaires died. Pukin remembered returning to his stateroom and stuffing three oranges in his pockets as the ship was being evacuated. He left money, securities, and jewelry worth more than $300,000, but he took three oranges. In the cataclysmic last moments of Titanic's voyage, Pukin saw with great clarity the difference between essentials and non-essentials. He chose to carry with him the basics, just three oranges, knowing that they could provide life to him and to someone else while they were waiting to be rescued. My friends, be flexible and adaptable enough to hold on to the important things in life and to let go of the rest. Disruptions in life help us with choosing what is important and what is unimportant. For example, if we were to find out we have an incurable sickness, suddenly the important things of life are a lot clearer. Now let's see what happens to Paul and Silas as they are in Troas. I read now verses 9 and 10 of Acts chapter 16. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. The Bible tells us, as they were in the port city of Troas, Paul had a vision from God of a man from Macedonia or Greece pleading for him to come and help them. Notice how in verse 10, they were immediately able to make preparations to go to Greece because not only were they flexible and adaptable, but they had nothing to hold them back or commitments they had to keep. And this was because all the places they wanted to go to, God had blocked their path until they ended up in Troas with supposedly nothing to do. Perhaps they were now able to see why God had blocked their other paths to bring them to this port city as it was just a short ride across the Aegean Sea to get to Greece. Perhaps they had their aha moment. So this is why the Lord brought us here, because He wanted us to minister to the people in Greece and bring the gospel to continental Europe. My friends, have you ever wondered why this vision wasn't given to Paul at the very beginning of his second missionary journey, perhaps at Antioch, so that Paul and Silas could just go directly from Antioch to Greece? Why go through all the winding paths through Asia Minor? Well, for one thing, they were able to pick up Timothy to join them on their team. But perhaps it was to teach Paul and Silas and us a very important lesson, the lesson 
to listen always to the leading of the Lord. And that's our third biblical principle. Biblical principle number three. Divine disruptions remind us to always listen for God's voice. Divine disruptions remind us to always listen for God's voice. Perhaps because if God told Paul and Silas what to do at the very beginning, they would have just said, okay, and then tune God out. But by not knowing where to go next, they had to be constantly listening and to be aware of God's next leading. For example, if I were a grade school teacher and I told my class, I'm going to teach you how to make the most awesome paper airplane, I could either show them the finished product or tell them to follow me step by step. Which do you think is the most effective? Well, some in the class would assume they know how to make the paper airplane and start their work only to find out their finished product doesn't look like the teacher's because they were missing some integral folds that made the paper airplane more aerodynamic. Even if I gave the students all the steps at the beginning, the steps would be forgotten, or perhaps the steps could have been misunderstood or misinterpreted, so the finished product also isn't the same as what it should be. Experienced elementary teachers know that the best way to get the best results is for the entire class to follow along in each step, not revealing the next step and reminding those who want to jump ahead to wait until the next step is given. This forces everyone to have to listen for the next step. It may be frustrating for some, but that will ensure that everyone finishes the final product as intended. I hope you see my point. The constant need for disruptions in our lives forces us to listen to God's voice. Because in life, if we're not disrupted by God to tell us, hey, what you're doing is wrong, you need to course correct and listen, then we may be heading to destruction or to catastrophic results. I know you know that in hotel rooms, you can hang a sign or turn on a light that says, do not disturb. Don't you wish at times you can hang one of those signs around your neck for God and other people to see and respect because you think, I'm so busy and I've got a lot of things happening that I need to focus and concentrate on without God bringing drama into my life or interrupting what I'm doing. As we noted earlier in Jesus' life, He was constantly being interrupted. But more than that, He made Himself interruptible to care for people and to do the Father's will. My friends, are you interruptible? Are you interruptible? Or do you tell God, don't disturb me, I'm busy? Because there are times that being interrupted is a good thing and, quite frankly, very important. Like when there's a fire in your house and someone bangs on your door to tell you to run. You tell them, go away, I'm not to be disturbed. Or perhaps someone wants to bring you some food and knocks on your office door or your house to share with you. If you don't answer and you tell them, I'm busy, I'm not to be disturbed, then you are the one missing out on the good food. I remember once cruising, sailing to Alaska. I came out of my room to see that everyone in the hallway was enjoying free chocolate-covered strawberries. I asked a fellow passenger how he got it, and they said the attendants were knocking on doors to see who wanted these Godiva chocolate-covered strawberries. So I called my attendant and asked why they didn't knock on my door. And they said, sorry, sir, we saw the do not disturb sign, and I'm sorry, 
were all out of the free Godiva chocolate-covered strawberries. I looked, and I had accidentally turned on the Do Not Disturb sign. I told the attendant, Sir, for the rest of the cruise, if there's any free food you're giving out, ignore the sign and make sure you knock on my door, whatever the hour. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes in Life Together, We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. We may pass them by, preoccupied with our more important tasks. It is a strange fact that Christians and even ministers frequently consider their work so important and urgent that they will allow nothing to disturb them. They think they are doing God a service in this, but actually they are disdaining God's crooked yet straight path. My friends, God has a habit of interrupting, and He does so often, so we will always be listening, ready for His best. Remember the story of young Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3, when three times God interrupted Samuel's sleep to call to him. The high priest Eli told him, it is from God, and so he was to answer, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. When God interrupts, don't say, what do you want? I'm busy. You can reply, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What do you want me to do? What do you want to tell me? What do you want to teach me through this ordeal, this interruption, this disruption? It will be different for all people, but my friends, always be listening for God's voice in our life's disruptions. Now look with me at verses 11 to 15. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Tyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. The Bible tells us the entire European continent was now open for the gospel, and the first convert was Lydia of Tyatira, who was ready to receive the gospel and with great joy showered much hospitality to this missionary team. You see, while Paul and Silas's plans in Asia Minor were disrupted, what they didn't know was that God had sovereignly prepared the hearts of the people in Macedonia, and as we'll see in the whole of Greece, to hear and receive the gospel. The divine disruption in Asia Minor allowed Paul and Silas to have a more effective ministry in Europe. From what happened in these verses, we get our fourth biblical principle, biblical principle number four. Divine disruptions happen so God can give us His best for our good. Divine disruptions happen so God can give us His best for our good. My friends, God doesn't interrupt your life and bother you because He has nothing better to do than to simply annoy you. He does so so that He can give you His very best for our good. Sometimes, that's even giving us a wake-up call to stop our sinful practices when the disruptions take on the form of us getting caught 
or found out, or perhaps being embarrassed. You know, when our family takes long car drives, and my children are looking at their devices using my data, I will have to turn off at times my mobile hotspot to call their attention to stop and look up because we're driving perhaps through a beautiful mountain vista or perhaps for them to look at a beautiful rainbow which they would have otherwise missed if they weren't interrupted. That is the type of interruptions we like, and that's the type of interruptions God gives. When I was in my 20s, I took a trip alone to Alaska. I drove far north to catch the beautiful northern lights. I instructed the motel person to please wake me up if the northern lights were out, which he did at 3 a.m. in the morning. If I was not anticipating, ready for, or appreciative of the abrupt wake-up call that early morning, I would be very angry. But of course I was not, and woke up in the middle of the night in the freezing cold to look upon one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen. Green, orange, red lights all dancing in the Alaskan wilderness night. Interruptions, my friends, are often for our good. I wonder if our daily prayer can be, Lord, disrupt my life. Interrupt me anytime you see fit so that I can stop what I'm doing and not miss out on your best. Lord, feel free to interrupt me anytime in my life in whatever way you see fit. Can you pray that? Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 118, verse 24. Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And Lord, if you want to fill that day with interruptions, go right ahead. I will be glad. Remember, my friends, God doesn't disrupt our lives for no reasons. He does it for our good. That should be our perspective. My friends, let's embrace divine disruptions and any interruptions God brings into our lives. As Christina Fox writes, my life is filled with interruptions, inconveniences, frustrations, and unexpected events. Things break. Accidents happen. The phone rings just as I climb into bed. Traffic makes me late. Just when we don't need another added expense, an appliance break. Unexpected illnesses change my carefully crafted plans. I could go on and on. You probably could as well. The problem is, I usually handle these interruptions to my life poorly. I react with frustration and anger. Like a young child, I want to stomp my feet and say, it's not fair. I blame others for inconveniencing me. I even throw my own pity party. Slow traffic, a sick child, or costly home repair may not seem like important tools in our sanctification, but they are. We often overlook these interruptions and inconveniences and instead expect God to work in our lives through huge, life-changing circumstances. But the reality is, we often won't have major events in our life that causes us to trust God and obey Him in some deeply profound way. We won't be called to build an ark or to take an only child up Mount Moriah. Rather, it's in these small frustrations and interruptions the little things in our life where we are given opportunities to rely on God, to obey Him, and to bring Him glory. 
These 10,000 little moments come in the form of our children asking us to play a game with them when we are tied up with something else. They are moments like when we get stuck behind a bus, when we're already late to an appointment, or when we have a flat tire on the way to work. They are in all those moments all throughout the day when things don't go our way, our plans fail, and our life is interrupted. It's these moments where the rubber meets the road, where our faith is stretched and we look down to see whether we're standing on rock or sand. Do we really believe that God is in control of all the details of our life? Do we really believe that His grace is sufficient to get us through the day? Do we really believe that the gospel of Christ is powerful enough not only to save us for eternity, but also to sustain and strengthen us in the midst of life's interruptions? Do we really believe that Christ is enough to satisfy all the deepest needs of our heart? So let's remember, my friends, whether in life, in your homes, in your relationships, in your schedules, in your work, in your studies, in whatever you encounter, remember, divine disruptions, number one, teach us to trust God. Number two, divine disruptions keep us flexible and adaptable. Number three, divine disruptions remind us to always listen for God's voice. Number four, divine disruptions happen so God can give us His best for our good. My friends, can you pray, Lord, disrupt my life whenever you see fit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. What a wonderful reminder, even for myself, that when you interrupt my plans, when you disrupt my life, it is not because you want to make my life miserable. It's because you have something greater in store for me. It's to call me to attention, to focus on you and not into my own temporal things. Lord, help us as your people acknowledge your sovereignty, to acknowledge that your ways and your wisdom is far beyond our own comprehension, and not to be so angry and mad when you seem to close the door and also close the windows. Father, I pray that we will always humbly seek your will to wait and listen, to trust, to understand that you always have our best in your perfect will. Help us to welcome disruptions in our life so that we can live out the best plans you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 